Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Witness Lee. Witness Lee was captured by the Lord Jesus as a young man of 19 in his native China. He consecrated his life to preach the gospel, and later labored side by side with Watchman Nee for parts of three decades, before eventually bringing this ministry to the West in 1962. He spent the next 35 years speaking to Christians in North America and all over the world before going to be with the Lord in 1997. The life study of the Bible is his most significant contribution to the heritage of biblical exposition, and we're delighted to be able to bring you short portions of his spoken ministry today. If you have questions or comments, or would like to find other Christians in your area enjoying this same ministry, just email us, radio at lsm.org. Again, that's radio at lsm.org. Here's today's program. We have an extraordinary and poignant program on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. We have the inspiring account of a first-century martyr on today's program, but these stories are not limited to the first century. Even in the 20th century, saints suffering for the gospel of Christ and his New Testament ministry continue. One such saint was Watchman Nee, who served in the gospel of Christ in China in the first half of this century. He was ultimately cruelly imprisoned by the communists and remained there for more than 20 years until his death in 1972. His faithful co-laborer, Witness Lee, continued this ministry in Taiwan and eventually brought it to America until he entered into his rest in 1997. We have recorded portions of that ministry today from the Book of Acts, and we also have Dick Taylor with us once again. Dick, welcome back to the studio. Really good to be here, especially on this chapter related to Stephen. Dick, you got a gem today, I think, to work with. This is a marvelous life study. I'm looking forward to this one a great deal. Me too. We're considering Stephen, Dick, and the account of his testimony and martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. First of all, who was Stephen, and what were the circumstances leading up to the account that we're going to be focusing on today? Stephen was a very dear believer in the Lord. At a certain point, the church needed a lot of people practically serving in the church in Jerusalem because it was growing and had so many needs. Stephen was selected as one of the leading serving ones. And it says Stephen was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Later it says he was full of grace and full of power. He was somebody who loved the Lord with all his heart and was a real radiant expression of the Lord in his daily living. He lived Christ. At this point in time, Chris, because the saints were so full of love for the Lord and joining Christ to propagate him on this earth, a lot of persecution rose up. And even Stephen, who was so full of wisdom, so full of Christ in his speaking, because of him there was a lot of persecution and much instigation to try to uh, stop him and to stop the other disciples. And as a result... In the midst of these persecutions, the Lord would rise up in the disciples to speak boldly concerning the resurrected and ascended and exalted Christ. And this happens with Stephen again at the beginning of chapter 7. He was asked by the 
one who was in charge of the Sanhedrin. It's the Sanhedrin again, this council, trying to stop them. And the high priest said to Stephen, are these things so? And Stephen just unloaded an awesome message, beginning with the God of glory and concluding with the Most High God. You just have to hear this message. The result was more persecution and the gospel going everywhere for the spread of Christ and the building of his body. This is the background a little bit for today's message. Dick, I think it'd be helpful to go ahead and read a few of these verses to get the full impact of what's happening here. It's a picture we all need to get into. If we do, I think we're going to be treated today to a marvelous, insightful, and enlightening word from our brother and from the Bible. We are going to go to chapter 6. I think we'll pick up the narrative in verse 16. And uh, by now, all the eyes have been turned to Stephen. He's about to give his defense of these false, even trumped-up charges that have been brought against him. And all those sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw his face as though it were the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now we're going to jump ahead, Dick, to uh, verse 44 in chapter 7. The tabernacle of testimony was with our fathers in the wilderness. This tabernacle, our fathers, having in their turn received. We're going to hear about both of these items in this portion just ahead. The tabernacle and the God of glory. Let's join Witness Lee. Eventually, the Holy Spirit used Stephen's teaching gift. He began his teaching from the God of glory appearing to Abraham. You have to know, in Genesis, you cannot find out this kind of a thought that the God of glory appeared to Abraham. I don't know where Stephen got this. In Genesis chapter 11 and chapter 12, you don't have this kind of thought that God came to Abraham, he came in glory. But Stephen told us that when God appeared to Abraham, he appeared to Abraham as the God of glory. From where he got this thought? I just don't know. But we all have to believe his words must be of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, he gave such a message beginning with the calling of the God of glory. And this fits in the New Testament economy. You know, Peter Lilang told us that God called us by and to his glory. Why eventually we took the Lord Jesus? Even we were stupid, yet we considered the Lord Jesus was somewhat better. So eventually we took Christ. Here it implied some glory. If the diamond is that not glorious, how would you pay $2,000 to buy a diamond ring? The better evaluation of Christ indicates some part of his glory. 
So the God of glory called Abraham, and that glory attracted Abraham. That glory called Abraham. We all got caught for us to appreciate his words. We got caught by his glory. Eventually, Stephen came to the point of the tabernacle. He said, our fathers in turn received the tabernacle. That means generation after generation in turn, the fathers kept the tabernacle. But God was not satisfied with that. And David knew that. And David was a man according to God's heart, and he was seeking for a better habitation for God. Eventually, Solomon built the temple, yet still God would say, anything made by human hand would not satisfy me. I need something better. So you could see Stephen from a God of glory. He came to God's habitation. Well, Dick, Stephen raised many points in his monumental speaking on that day, but let's pick up these two that Witness Lee has highlighted. And these are, first, his word that it was the God of glory that appeared to Abraham. And second, his mention of the tabernacle that the fathers received. What's noteworthy about these two points particularly? The God of glory is an awesome title. And uh, it's really interesting that this was never spoken or recorded in the Old Testament in Genesis 10, 11, or 12. Stephen was just so full in his experience of the Lord that this is how he defined him. So under the inspiration of the Spirit, we realize who our God is. He's the God of glory. This means that he is extremely attractive, very drawing. And, uh, you know, like... uh, Why would you pay a lot of money for a diamond? It's because there must be something glorious about it. You don't pay a price for anything, and you don't give yourself to anything unless there's some real glory there. Well, the most glorious person in the entire universe is Jesus Christ, who is the God of glory. He's the most attractive one. And Stephen began speaking about him as the God of glory, meaning this was Stephen's testimony. I've been drawn to this one. I've been attracted to this one. I'll give my whole life for this one. And eventually in this chapter, he did. And you look at all the disciples who were called in the four Gospels. You can't understand it. One day they're fishing, and the next day they're following this wonderful Jesus. Who is he? He's the God of glory. You cannot explain this other than the fact that he is so valuable, so precious, so full of worth, and so magnetic. He's just the God of glory who attracts you, who infuses you with himself as the glory, the very shining of God into you, and you just get caught by him. And look at Chris, you got caught. Me, I got caught. How can we explain it except that we have believed in, we've been attracted to, and even this very moment we're following the God of glory. Referring to God's habitation, the tabernacle of God, this other phrase that you mentioned, the fathers in the Old Testament, yes, they had the tabernacle. And eventually in chapter 7, verse 48, he mentions that David was a man after God's heart, and he built God a temple. But still, God was not satisfied with the tabernacle in the wilderness, neither with the temple in the good land. 
verse 48 says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in that which is made by hands, even as the prophet says. So here, this Most High God does not dwell in that which is made by hands. Heaven's my throne, the earth is a footstool for my feet. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? So the habitation of God here is not something made by human hands. The habitation of God is really God himself as the God of glory infusing himself into a humanity that's open to him so that God and man are joined together, mingled together, and to become the very dwelling place of God on this earth. What an awesome habitation of God. There's a wonderful footnote, Chris, uh, related to verse 48, footnote 2. God would abandon the material temple of the Old Testament and initiate a new dispensation that his people might worship him in the Spirit. That's John 4:24, in which is God's spiritual habitation. And we refer to Ephesians 2.22, which says, In whom, that's Christ, you also are being builded together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. There's the habitation of God. There's God's dwelling place, the church. So Stephen, in a wonderful way, puts together the God of glory and the tabernacle of God showing that God's tabernacle is no longer just a physical building made by human hands, but it's altogether the product of the very God of glory infusing himself into his believers to become one with him as the dwelling place of God on this earth. Isn't this wonderful, these two phrases, the God of glory and God's habitation? Dick, it is marvelous. And I think it's interesting that they become the bookends of his entire speaking. He begins with the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And we have to confirm we can relate to this word. Any of us who have given up to follow the Lord Jesus have done it because the God of glory in some manner appeared to us. On the other end, the closing of his marvelous speaking, he brings us to the tabernacle, the habitation of God in spirit. He really was in the fullness of God's whole economy there, wasn't he? He sure was. This is a marvelous, marvelous portion. Dick, we're going to go back and pick up Witness Lee sharing now about Stephen and particularly his experience at the end. Here's Witness Lee. At this point, he became so strong. Let me read to you. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. You also do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand concerning the coming of the righteous one of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. You who received the law by the disposition of angels and did not keep it. This was Stephen calling people. Now when they heard these things, they were cut to their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, looking intently into heaven, he didn't care for the environment. He looked intently into the heaven. He saw the glory of God. 
God of glory appeared to Abraham, but now Stephen saw that glory. He saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in the entire Testament. Such a thing occurred only once, uniquely. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up, and the sin man standing at the right hand of God. Then those people cried out with a loud voice, they covered their ears, and rushed upon him with one accord, and having thrown him outside of the city, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man called Saul. Dick, this is truly one of the most inspirational stories in the whole Bible. Stephen looking intently into the heavens as he was giving his life as a testimony, a sweet and satisfying sacrifice to the Lord whom he loved, and who obviously loved him as well. Dick, there's so much that can be seen and talked about here. I'm just going to ask you, what are your impressions? My impressions are that Stephen was so full of Christ, so saturated with Christ, so infused with him that he became a sweet-smelling savor to God. I like this phrase you used, that he was a sweet and satisfying sacrifice to the Lord. I believe the Lord was so satisfied. It tells us in this section that while Stephen was speaking, it says he was gazing intently, and some translations say that his gaze was fixed. Here are stones coming at him. Here are people gnashing their teeth, roaring and running at him uh, like lions to kill him. But he never even paid attention to the environment. It says his gaze was fixed intently into the heavens. And he said, I see the glory of God and I see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. This is wonderful. He was not at all distracted disturbed. He was totally fixed on Jesus Christ. I was reminded, Chris, of, um, you know, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that we, with unveiled face, are beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. He was so much fixed on this dear Jesus, who is the God of glory, and this wonderful one who is in the glory. He was so fixed on him that even Jesus himself had to stand. This is the only occasion where it says Jesus stood. So Jesus was satisfied. God was satisfied. Not only that, Stephen was so intense in his gazing at the Lord that he himself became a reproduction and a duplication of this Jesus by being filled with the Lord's life and the Lord's nature. This is proven by the fact that his face was shining like an angel, meaning that he had the appearance of being divine, and that his utterance, his boldness, his expression was just Christ. Verse 51 says, uh, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always oppose the Holy Spirit. And the footnote 51 too says, Since Stephen was full of the Spirit and was one with the Lord the Spirit, to oppose him was to oppose the Holy Spirit. Apparently, they were opposing a man. Actually, they were opposing Christ. And later, when Paul got saved, the Lord said, why do you persecute me? Because when he was there 
giving the authority and okaying the stoning of Stephen, he was actually having Jesus stoned to death. Hence, the Lord indicated to Saul, one of Stephen's persecutors, that he was persecuting him. So Stephen was just so much one with the Lord, he became a duplication of the Lord for his expression and was so satisfying to the Lord. We want to be such believers. Dick, you and I have talked before that uh, this must have made such an incredible impression on Saul of Tarsus, at that time still Saul, that later as the Apostle Paul, when he wrote so many of those inspiring, tremendous portions of the New Testament, this scene had to reappear to him over and over again, didn't it? It sure did. And you can see Paul's entire ministry was based on this revelation, probably particularly when he was watching Stephen die. Hmm. Dick, we're going to pick up this portion about persecution and get into it in a little more depth. Here's Witness Lee. They stoned Stephen as he was calling upon the Lord. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down. He cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Then we go on to chapter 8. Saul was approving of his killing. When you approve something, do you realize you consider yourself as somebody? If you are nobody, you wouldn't approve anything. As long as you approve something, you consider yourself somebody. Now, this young Saul, he was a young man, yet he approved the persecution, thinking, considering himself to be something, to be somebody. Actually, he was somebody. Eventually, from this time onward, he was somebody. He became somebody. He became the top persecutor. Then there occurred in that city a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and all were scattered throughout the countries of Judea and Samaria. Listen, except the apostles. According to the black and white, probably only the twelve were left to stay in Jerusalem, right? All the saints were scattered. This shows how prevailing and powerful was the Lord's gospel in Jerusalem. The believers all left, only leaving the twelve there. Yet, probably the next morning, many believed. The more the believers left, the more others believed. It was powerful. It was prevailing. You have to interpret this way. Because it says so, except the apostles. Who are the apostles? Who details? All left. Don't forget. One day, 3,000. Another, 5,000. Not including the females. Just the men came up to 5,000. Plus the females. I believe at least 15,000. The gospel, oh, was prevailing at that time in Jerusalem. 
predict the events related to this account ushered in a major move of the Lord in the propagation of this resurrected Christ in his ascension. Persecution was now falling heavily on the saints and scattering nearly all of the believers in Jerusalem. But the gospel was not that much weakened by the difficult, harsh climate, was it? It was not weakened at all, but rather even intensified. The disciples, because of the persecution, all the believers, they all left. And it says in the word, they all left except the apostles. Well, how many is that? At this point in time, there had to be at least 8,000 men, not counting women, because of the salvations that have been listed. So there was probably 15,000, as Brother Lee mentioned, 15,000 in the church. They all left to other cities and other places, preaching the gospel everywhere. Can you imagine the activated body of Christ with every member going out to announce this resurrected and ascended Christ to propagate him? This is the real preaching of the gospel. So no doubt. The gospel was not weakened by this difficult climate, but intensified, and Christ was propagated all the more. Glory to him. May the Lord release us as all the members of his body to propagate him everywhere. We're one with the Lord that he would gain such a living body on this earth today. Dick, this seems to be nearly a law of the spiritual life. Whenever we come under any kind of persecution, whether it's a family member or an acquaintance or someone on the job, inwardly there's a response uh, in our spirit that just wants to cry out at that point and proclaim the truth, the reality of this marvelous, resurrected and ascended person. That's really true. It's just like the hymn Brother Lee wrote, death cannot hold the resurrection life. It only gives it opportunity. All the things that come against are just a tremendous environment for this life to be released in a resurrected way. Dick, uh, another one that I wish we had much more time on. Me too. Uh, uh, this is Marvelous Fellowship and a portion of the word that is uh, has to be a favorite of many, and Amen. I'm sure uh, a number of our listeners. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Come back again very soon. And I'm looking forward to that. Our life study of Acts is really underway, Dick, in full steam now. Hallelujah. For Dick Taylor, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you'd like to read the works of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, just visit our website, ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll find over 600 complete titles available to read online free of charge. Witness Lee's ministry stood squarely on the shoulders of his mentor and co-worker, Watchman Nee, as well as those of countless ministers of the New Testament throughout the ages. The riches contained in his life study of the Bible represent the top, the cream of his 70-plus years of ministry and range in topic from lessons for new believers to commentary and exposition on passages from every book of the Bible. But they all contain practical and deeper truths about the Christian life. Again, this wonderful online resource is available to you free of charge at ministrybooks.org. If you have questions or comments about this ministry, or the program you heard today, email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.